Laurel comes and shares that awesome testimony which we heard this morning. I'd just like to share a few thoughts from in our next step of our series, The Way, which was begun last week. And uh, we call it The Way because it's, about, it's talking about the way of living with Jesus, the way of following Jesus. In the book of Acts, the uh, new Christians were often called the people of the way because they were belonging to Jesus and following him. And that came from when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they, the word Christian didn't come for a lot long after. But we will be walking through this, as Tim explained last week, and particularly through the Sermon on the Mount in different sections through this year. And Tim uh, began last week in the first 11 verses of Matthew 4. And he was speaking when Jesus was baptized and he went into the wilderness and uh, the Spirit of God led him in the wilderness and one of the Gospels said that the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness so that he would spend 40 days and 40 nights and there's lots of speculation around why, what that symbolises but we won't go into. And, um, and it was that he met with Father there and he began to understand in his humanity what his father was like and, and delving deep into his father's uh, character in the, in the communication, in that, uh, that communion with him. And it was at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights that, the, that Satan came and tempted him. And if you remember, there were three big temptations. And these temptations really said to Jesus, are you going to give in to the temptation or are you going to trust God? Do you remember when uh, he said, turn the stones into bread, Jesus, you're hungry? And Jesus said, no, no, I'm not going to manipulate the hard things of my life and turn them soft. I'm not going to manipulate my life at all. I'm going to trust God. And he took him up to the, the pinnacle of the temple and he said, throw yourself down. And uh, because the Bible says that the angel, he's given his angels charge over you and they will protect you and they'll lift you up. And he says, no, 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 I'm going to trust God even though that might seem all very nice and it's possible and it probably would be probable that that would happen. And then he took him up on a mountain and he said, oh, have a look at this, this vista. I'll give everything to you if you bow down and worship me. And how often does Satan do that to us? I'll give you these things if you would bow down and worship me, if you just surrender your life to me. And Jesus said, no, no, I know who I am and I'm not going to to give in to you, I'm going to trust God. And it was in this that we realised that Jesus came to not only show us who God is, but he came to help us understand what it is to live life in this life. To live life in the full, and the fullness of life comes with total allegiance and total dedication and total trust in God. And really what he was saying too, that there was that sense of that God would provide that God would protect, that God would put you in the position and make you the person that he wants you to be if you would trust him. Even though it doesn't turn out the way we expect sometimes, even though the process is a little bit skewed sometimes, God is still in charge. God is still the sovereign God who is the one to be trusted. And not only that, he, he sort of threw down the gauntlet to the devil, didn't he? And, uh, and he proved who he was. He was the good shepherd, the Messiah that was come. 
And so he starts to emerge from that and reveal who he is. He reveals into his uh, public ministry, if you like, on earth. And this was when he was about 30, so that from his birth till about 30, there was a quiet period. But now was the time that he emerges into that position that God had placed him, not what the devil tempted him to do in his full humanity. And so he emerges from the, full ex- from the experience, fully trusting the Father. He not only starts to fulfill a ministry, but he starts to fulfill prophecy. And if you would see, there's a prophecy in Isaiah in Matthew 4 that says, In the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, he went there. He went to this place because it was to fulfill this prophecy. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light for those people in the region and the shadow of death on them a light has dawned. The king had arrived. This one who came to shine light into the dark places. This one who came to shine light into the spiritual darkness of people's lives and into the physical darkness of their lives as well, into the emotional darkness of their lives. He came to do that and he emerged out of that space with the Father and also resisting the devil and he walked into this prophecy. This prophecy was written 800 years before he even existed. I think that's pretty cool. What is this way of Jesus? What is this way that we consider as as we're talking about in this series? It is having his light shone into our dark places. It's trusting him to do it fully. It's trusting him to bring the healing, to bring the fullness, to bring the restoration, to bring the renewal, to bring that completeness into our lives. It's trusting him. Because he's shown that to be. And responding to his invitation, to his command, to from that time, this is what the command is this. From that time, the time in uh, Naphtali and those funny places, and he was fulfilling the prophecy, from that time, in this emerging of his full humanity and his uh, deity even, he began to preach. Repent. And this is what's called an imperative in the language, which means it's a command. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I think there's a better translation, a a more accurate translation is the kingdom of heaven is here. And he was declaring that he himself was the kingdom of heaven arrived in person. The king had come. The king had arrived and he was here to set up a kingdom. He was here to set up a rule and reign. This word repent is a word that not only just speaks of sin, it does speak of sin, but what it really means is it's an eternal work within us that, that results in an external action. And what that is, is I change my allegiance from one kingdom of my own, where I rule, and where Satan has quite a strong influence. And I change the allegiance and the rule of my own kingdom, and I turn and and give that allegiance and the rule over to the one true king, Jesus. Do you understand? So that's what repentance means. See, when Jesus invited his hearers to, to repent and believe, 
He was, yes, asking them to forsake sin, but he was also challenging them to embrace a whole new way of living, a whole new life, a whole new thing that says a kingdom lifestyle is now. It's an eternal way of life. It's the eternal sort of life that we not only say eternity comes over there, but eternity begins here. Because we enter the kingdom with the king and that sense of his eternity becomes a part of our being and our story becomes a part of God's story. Jesus was challenging the people to live that kingdom lifestyle even before the kingdom has appeared in its full glory. Now the kingdom has yet to appear in its full glory and that will be at the end of this earthly time and that fullness will come. For we know that understanding that that's the desire of God to, for us to enter into this kingdom, we read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just something that we look forward to over there like the, the uh, I, I had that said that my saying this morning and I've just forgotten it, um, but don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, it was that. It was. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes we think of this Christian life as we're just looking over there. We're just looking to the pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. Or really, he's saying there's meat. Uh, there's meat on the plate today. There's meat on the plate while we wait. That's it. Yeah, that's that's the old saying. And. <laughs> But it's not just that thing over there. The kingdom of God is that he brings us into his rule and his reign. N.T. Wright says this, God's project is not to snatch people away from heaven, earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. For you see, it's not just us as individuals that he wants us to be as a part of the kingdom and that life of heaven to come, but that he speaks as a community, as his body, as his body worldwide. His desire is that kingdom is expressed in his body, is expressed in you, is expressed as you walk daily life and as you mix with other people. Dallas Willard says about repent for the kingdom of heaven, the heavens, is at hand, this is a call for us to reconsider how we have been approaching our life. In light of the fact that we now, in the presence of Jesus, have the option of living within the surrounding movements of God's eternal purpose, of taking our life into his life. This is the most dynamic thing about the gospel. Gospel is more than just making a decision for Jesus, getting forgiven and waiting for heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about living in God's life and his life as a part of ours. And that becoming our world. That becoming us living in his kingdom. What is the outworking of trusting Jesus and entering his kingdom? What's that outworking? Well, we see it. When he speaks to the disciples on the beach, firstly he speaks to Simon Peter and Andrew, and then he speaks to James and John, and he gives them an invitation. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then immediately, immediately they left their nets and followed him. This was the same twice for the two, two sets of guys. 
Simon, Peter, and Andrew, he asked the question, and immediately they left their, their nets. Then James and John, the same question, and then immediately he left their nets. What do we respond when Jesus says, follow me? Oh, hang on. Um, I've, now I've got, and, and just check, let me check my diary. How often is it that we allow ourselves to put him second best? These guys realized who he was and they just went with the magnetism of his nature and his character and who he was and said, we're going with him. Jesus asks us the same question. Will you be a part of my kingdom? What does the kingdom look like? He was in direct conflict with evil. That's what the kingdom is. Direct conflict with Satan who's trying to take control of the whole world. Take control of us as well. He says this, and he went throughout all of Galilee. This is what the kingdom look, life looks like. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Imagine that. Every person who was sick, every person who was afflicted brought to Jesus, he healed all of them. I find it hard to get my head around that. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and um, the paralytics, and he healed them and great clouds followed him. It means that God is still in the business of miracles that God is still in the business of ministering to people's lives and changing them, and he uses us. Part of the kingdom of God is that we enter this kingdom sort of life, this eternal sort of life, that the king, we enter the kingdom of God now and the rule and reign of our lives changes from us doing it and it, it gives it all over to him. So that we minister to people by maybe feeding them. We minister to people by helping them in their pain, by journeying with them, by standing with them, by bringing the light of Jesus, this one whom the light has dawned, this one who has emerged from the quietness and has emerged in and declared that he is the king of the kingdom, this king who will reign forever and ever and ever, and he wants to touch lives and change them. See, it means to trust God. That's what the kingdom means. To trust God for your provision. To trust God for your protection. To trust God that he would place you in that position that, and be the person that he wants you to be to bring that transformation. And to trust God by proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And let other people know, bringing light into their darkness. Jesus' kingdom... Is, is one in which God's people trust him completely. Do you trust him completely? Do you trust him without reservation? This is the eternal kind of life that he speaks of. Laurel is going to come and share with us this awesome testimony, which is a display, an open display of the kingdom as well.
Good evening, everyone. Who believes in the power of prayer? Hands up. You guys are doing better than the morning congregation. <laughs> How many of you have ever seen a miracle happen? Once again, you're doing a lot better than the morning congregation, or maybe you're just listening. I'm going to tell you a story now, and this is a story about a whole series of miracles that happened just one after the other. And there's absolutely no way they could have happened without God's intervention. Before I tell the story, there are a couple of things um, you need to understand. First of all, it's about pregnancy. An average pregnancy lasts for about 40 weeks. It's called just 40 weeks shorthand or 40 weeks gestation. If a baby is born before 24 weeks, it can't possibly survive because its internal organs aren't developed well enough. And if a baby is born too early, it's called a miscarriage and it always dies. I've got one daughter-in-law. Her name is Claire. She's married to my son, Scott. Back in September 2015, she had brain surgery and she needed that to save her life without Without it, she would have died within about 10 years and it would have been a horrible death. She already had three small children. She wanted to have another baby. But to do that, she had to get permission from both her neurologist, who'd done the brain surgery, and an obstetrician, who's a specialist who, develops, uh, who delivers babies. When she was about 10 weeks pregnant, I got a phone call from my son. I was at home, which is amazing in itself. I would normally be at school. He said, Mum, where are you? And I said, I'm at home. Why? Oh, looks like Claire's having a miscarriage. Can you get over there quickly? Sorry, I forgot an important point. Both the obstetrician and the neurologist said, yes, you can get pregnant, but this will be your last pregnancy. And when Scott said Claire was having a miscarriage, my stomach hit the ground, my heart was in my mouth, and I just said, oh God, no, please don't let her have a miscarriage. I was driving over there and I had this most amazing vision. I could see a tiny little girl running through a paddock, bright green grass, bright blue sky. I could see her little face, I could see her hair. I could even see the pattern on the dress she was wearing. And God spoke to me very, very clearly. And he said, her name is Elizabeth Faith. By your faith, she shall be saved. I was seeing such an amazing picture. I didn't know whether I was seeing a picture of heaven and she wasn't going to survive on this earth. She was going to die and go straight to heaven or whether I was actually seeing her when she was a couple of years old. Claire went off to hospital and the doctor said, the lining of your uterus is tearing away from the muscle wall. You're going to have a miscarriage. There's nothing you can do to prevent it. There was lots of prayer. She didn't have a miscarriage. Two weeks later, exactly the same thing happened again. Off to hospital again, the doctor says, the lining of your uterus is tearing off even further. There's nothing you can do. You're definitely going to have a miscarriage this time. She went home, lots more prayer again. She didn't have a miscarriage. Same thing happened twice more. She didn't bother going to the hospital those times because the doctors couldn't do anything. 
By this stage, the entire family, lots of other people were praying and Claire was just resting and she was just waiting. At this stage, Claire's best friend, Rochelle, who's an amazing prayer warrior, started referring to the baby as our faith baby. And she said, I've got faith that this baby is going to survive and I've got faith that she's going to be a little girl. And I just went, wow. This is what God was showing me in the vision. I hadn't had the, um, I hadn't had the faith to share this with any, anyone else because I was thinking, my gosh, what happens if I'm not hearing from God? What happens if this is my imagination? I'm just hoping this is okay. From that time on, we started referring to the baby as our faith baby and praying for our faith baby. Claire had a scan, which is an ultrasound scan, a picture of the inside of her uterus. And it showed that she had a blood clot that was 11 centimetres by 7 centimetres by a centimetre thick, stuck to the lining of her uterus. A blood clot that's the size of your fingernail is enormous. The doctor said, even if you manage to carry this baby to full term, to 40 weeks, it's going to run out of space. It's not going to get to 40 weeks. So we're thinking, okay, that's another problem. Where do we go with that one, God? Lots of prayer, again, not knowing what was going to happen in the future. When Claire was 40, uh, 14 weeks pregnant, she had a scan that showed that the baby was healthy and that it was a baby girl. And I just said, my gosh, wow, God, this is Elizabeth Faith. This is the baby you showed me in the vision that you gave me. Claire wanted to name her baby. She was resting in bed and she was trying to think of baby names and I couldn't resist giving God a little bit of a help along. Claire thought, first of all, she'd call the baby Faith because we'd been calling it our Faith baby and then she thought, no, I've already got a little girl called Grace. A Grace and a Faith is a bit too Christian-y. Can't do that. What are we going to call this baby? And so I thought, yeah, I'll help God along a bit here. And I said, you've always wanted a little girl called Ellie. What about calling her Elizabeth? And then I just left it at that. The next day, I got a phone call from Claire. And she said, I've decided to call the baby Elizabeth Faith. And I just went, wow. And then she said, but Scott, that's her husband, my son. But Scott's not convinced. And I went, oh, okay, what do we do with this? Then about three days later, I got a phone call from Scott and he'd been out riding his bike on Sandgate Road just near Nudgee College and he said, Mum, God just spoke to me and told me that the baby's to be called Elizabeth Faith. And I said, praise God. Thank you, God, that they've both heard you. And from that stage on, we started praying for the baby by name. When we prayed for her, we referred to her as Ellie Faith. Claire then contracted diabetes, which can kill both the mother and baby. Then high blood pressure, which can also kill the mother and baby. And then she was diagnosed with a heart murmur. This was one after the other within about a fortnight. She'd been a representative athlete as a teenager. She had no heart problems whatsoever. The stress was incredible. Trusting God was really difficult 
as one thing after the other, after the other was just thrown at us. Claire felt supported by the prayers. At this stage, the prayer warriors were really out in force. Lots of people from the church here, our home group, people from the Grace College community. Might surprise some of you ex-Grace College students, but there's some awesome prayer warriors over there. And Claire, Claire really felt the power of the prayer. At this stage, I realised that what was going on was demonic. When Claire was, just before Claire had her brain surgery, in the months leading up to that, she had many, many really invasive tests. And then she had months and months of recovery after the surgery. She was writing a blog. And the blog was really just saying how God was sustaining her, how God was upholding her during the difficult time she was going through. She didn't know whether she was going to survive the brain surgery. That's how serious it was. This blog was, written, uh, was read by about 1,500 people in 53 different countries, including people in Muslim countries. People in Muslim countries can get executed for reading Christian literature. Claire had done an awful lot of damage to Satan's kingdom with that blog that she was writing. So we had to pray against the power of Satan as well. When Claire got to 28 weeks of pregnancy, I said to her, Claire, we're going to pray for 32 weeks now. Because I thought 28 weeks, the, uh, my teacher brain kicked in. If a baby's born at 28 weeks, it will survive. There might be a few disabilities, but they'll only be small. She got to 28 weeks and I said, okay, now we're going to pray for 32 weeks. Once again, I didn't have enough faith in God to be able to see this whole thing through. At this stage, Claire and Rochelle were playing, praying against the clot because it, the baby was getting bigger and she was going to run out of space. Clots, blood clots don't disappear by themselves. But this one started shrinking, ended up less than half the size it was. At this stage, as well, the diabetes came under control, the high blood pressure disappeared, and the heart murmur disappeared. None of those things disappear by themselves. They get worse because of the stress pregnancy puts on your body. So that was a real answer to prayer there. But Satan wasn't finished yet. He still had his big guns yet to go. Once again, I was at home one day and I got a phone call from Claire and she was absolutely distraught, just about hysterical. And she said the hospital had phoned and they wanted her there straight away, wouldn't tell her what was wrong. And of course, she was thinking the worst. The baby had died. She had something seriously wrong with her. She rang me from the hospital and she had contracted something called cytomegalovirus, CMV. And this is one of those nasty things. It makes the person who's got it sick, it's a bit like the flu, you're miserable. But if a woman is pregnant when she has CMV, the baby generally is either blind, deaf, intellectually impaired, or any combination of that. So we were really praying against this. I won't bore you with statistics, but I spent ages trawling through websites and eventually came up with the fact that 
after originally thinking there was a 70% chance the baby was going to be affected, there was only a 5% chance that she would be. And I remember thinking that if you're a gambler, you wouldn't gamble on those odds. Preliminary tests showed that the baby probably wasn't infected, but you wouldn't know until she'd actually been born and could have full blood tests. Then when Claire was 36 weeks pregnant, Satan had his second last hurrah. Another scan showed that the baby had one leg considerably shorter than the other. Lots more prayer again. Two weeks later, the baby was born. Both her legs were exactly the same length. One leg had done an awful lot of growing in that time. That showed the power of prayer there. She had a blood test when she was 15 minutes old and she hadn't been infected with cytomegalovirus. So after everything this baby had gone through, she was absolutely perfect when she was born. It's a real uh, testament to the power of prayer, to God's faithfulness, and the very, very fragile faith of some of us. God took the faith and the trust that we have in him, every one of us who are involved in that situation, right to the very brink. Now today, Ellie is 12 and a half months old. I've got a picture and a couple of videos. Hopefully they work. We don't know whether our um, program at home is um, compatible with the churches. Let's see what we've got, guys. That's all right. She's playing with her daddy here. It's a bit distorted, yes. Here she is at the pool. Once again, distorted. <laughs> Have you got the one of her face? There she is at a picnic. Okay, that'll do. Thanks, guys. Now, this morning after I spoke, Claire actually came out and gave her testimony. I'm not going to do that, of course, but I just want to go through some of the points that she made. Claire talked about how God sustained her through the brain surgery and through the horrendous time she had uh, with this pregnancy. And the fourth, first point she made is God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is one of my favourite Bible verses. God's a constant in our otherwise chaotic world. Sometimes he's the only constant. And in the midst of all this chaos, we really need to hang on to that thought that he's promised that he'll never leave us and he'll never forget about us. The second point she made is that God is good. He's sovereign and his love for you will never change. When our world is falling down around us, like Claire's was, and I'm sure some of you people have been in that situation as well, or if we feel dreadfully guilty because we've done something horrendous, it might have been deliberate, might have been unintentional. God might teach us a painful lesson, but he is good, and we've got to hold on to that. And God is in control, even when it doesn't seem that way. And the third point Claire made was... 
even if he doesn't heal you, he is God. In the lead up to her brain surgery, she was facing the fact that she might die during the surgery or shortly afterwards. At this stage, she was 20, just turned 30 years old, had three tiny children. The young one, youngest was only 10 months old and she was facing her mortality and everyone in the family was facing the possibility of her death. None of us know God's plan for our lives. Now for me, God's plan has worked out far better than I would ever have expected. His plan isn't always the same as ours. And in my case, it's probably just as well that it's not. 